This is Welcome Home Radio from the Fresno Association of Realtors on 940 ESPN. Well, good morning and welcome to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host on our Valley's most informative real estate talk show. This hour is brought to you by the Fresno Association of Realtors, and we have a goal. And that goal is to give you some really, really good information and the real facts and real stats about our local market. And you wouldn't go into a football game without a well-prepared game plan. Well, you shouldn't go into the home buying process or the home selling process without a well-prepared game plan. Um, As I've said before, one of the true beauties of this show, Welcome Home Radio, now in its 13th year, is that we have 4,000 members and and also even more affiliate members of the Fresno Association of Realtors that get to come in here as a guest each week and uh, share their experiences. And we have that again for you today. So here we have Doug Hefner with IMS Lending. Good morning, Doug. Good morning, Don. Thanks for having me. Sure. You got to tell me, what does IMS stand for? Because I'm always telling our guests, hey, Easy on the acronyms. You know, realtors are are bad about that. Sure. IMS Lending stands for Intelligent Mortgage Solutions. All right. And uh, how long have you been in this business? I've been in this business since 1980, so a really long time. Yeah, uh, that is a really long time. I got you beat, though. (laughs) Yes, you do. But but barely. That's right. We've known each other for a long time. Yeah. Um, All right, Doug. So... Tell us a little something. You, you've been in since 1980. That's about when a recession was about to hit back in 81, 82, somewhere in there. What, what have, what's your experiences in this real estate market? Well, in this real estate market, there's cycles. And every eight years or so, there seems to be a cycle both up and down, depending on where you're at in a cycle. In that early 80s, uh, we were coming out of very high interest rates. When I got started, uh, the prime rate was 21%. Mortgage rates were 18% when we started. In perspective, what's the prime rate today? Prime is probably running around Oh, I would think about two, two and a half, somewhere around there. Okay, compared to 21% yep. back then. Yep. And people still bought and sold houses. It was just as busy then as it is now, and in some ways even more busy uh, busy than, than it is today, and that's kind of hard to believe based on those rates. Mm-hmm. All right, interesting. We, we, as realtors, just had to fig- and lenders had to figure out a way to make things work. That's correct. That's correct. All right. So that was the early 80s. Um, What happened from there? You know, in the mid 80s, we had a tax change uh, during the Reagan administration where uh, a lot of people were buying investments and investment properties in real estate. And they changed the tax law, which required to have more passive and non-passive income. Well, that kind of put uh, a damper on the real estate injury, uh, industry and allowed uh, it to slow down. So p- things weren't selling as quickly. So there was a change. Um, so there was a downturn. And that was probably, I think it was the 80, 
uh, 86 tax law, if I remember correctly. Then it was followed up by uh, what they called Black Monday in October of 87, basically. And that's when interest rates had fallen from the early 80s prime down into the mortgage rates were in the probably mid sevens, eights. And on Black Black Monday, it basically jumped from about 8% on a 30-year mortgage to about 12, 13% in a day. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I Okay. I, I, in a way, forgot that part, maybe because I was in shock. <laughs> but I think we all were. I mean, it was a very difficult time because it was hard to deliver on mortgages. If you had a, you had a deal that was closing, they were basically only funding loans that were ready to go. As far as any new uh, business, uh, it was slowed down because the, the capital dried up overnight, basically. There's another thing that happened about 1986 that really impacted investments in housing. And that is prior to 1986, FHA had a policy that their loans were assumable without qualification by anybody. So it was possible for somebody to say, hey, son, go out and buy this home getting an FHA loan. And six months later, I'll buy it from you, you know, give you a few bucks and, and down the road. And that investor didn't have to qualify. Um, about 1986, FHA changed that rule right. and said no more. It was called a subject to assumption. Now you had to fully qualify. And if you could fully qualify for that assumption, you could qualify for any loan out there. That's correct. That's correct. And that was the same way with a lot of conventional stuff. They started to enforce the due on sales clauses uh, in their mortgages to where they were no longer assumable. Most loans are not assumable unless you fully qualify for them. And what we saw was a lot of times the note that was on the books, the interest rate was actually uh, higher than possibly the mar market rate. So it made more sense just to apply for a new, if you had to qualify for it, you might as well apply for a new loan because you usually got a little bit better deal in the form of an interest rate. And you wouldn't have to come in with as much money because you didn't have to pay the difference between the principal and what that sales price was. You were able to finance that in. Yeah. That, okay. Let's fast forward then a few yep. years. What, uh, to the 90s, what was that like? Uh, the 90s had some good times in the early 90s, uh, early years of the Clinton administration. Um, the market moved, especially here locally. We had, we had a good time. About 94, 95, it started to slow down again, which caused a stall. There wasn't much appreciation, especially in the valley, the Central Valley here. Um, so houses weren't in, uh, appreciating as fast as, as they were in other areas, such as the Bay Area or Southern California. But so that caused a t stall and, and the market got a little tougher uh, to do. And there was a lot of other things going on in, in the valley, some adjustments, some uh, economic downturn. So it, it, it caused some problems, especially in the ag area. Uh, there was some pullback on that. And so uh, at that time, a lot of the related businesses, agriculture, and what were affected, which which there trickles down to people buying and selling houses that actually work in those industries. So, mm -hmm. Then, of course, we as we fast forward into the 2000s, uh, yep. that one 
you had to see or you have to remember. Right, right. Well, it started out with, you know, Y2K that everybody was worried about. Mm -hmm. Uh, The dot-com bubble burst in 98, I believe, 99 as well. And then uh, some of the policies that were enacted during the Clinton administration with housing, trying to make it more more people to get into housing, uh, loosen the banking regulations, the mortgage regulations, which basically freed up a bunch of capital and a bunch of money for people and uh, for people to qualify into purchasing houses. And in the early 2000s, there was a frenzy, as they say, to buy houses. People qualified. Money was, uh, as we called it, loose, or there was a lot of capital available, and people were buying houses, and they were buying them and selling them. They were appreciating fast. The su- supply and demand were were uh, moving very quickly through the early 2000s right up to the mortgage meltdown in 2008. I'm glad you called it a mortgage meltdown and not a housing meltdown. Right. Because that poor house didn't do anything wrong. Nope. But, but it was the lender and the borrowers that made some poor choices, including, tell us what a negative amortization loan is. Negative am, uh, amortization loan is a loan where your interest rate uh, is an adjustable rate, first of all. And second of all, you're paying the minimum payment. It may be a lower start rate minimum payment. So in other words, the note rate may be 5% and you're actually paying a payment uh, of 3%, um, which means that the difference between those two is added to the principal balance of your loan. Which, you mean the lender didn't just gift that extra 2%? No, they did not. Oh. They just add it to the balance. Put it on my tab, as they say. So, ah. <laughs> And so you may have borrowed 100000 and by five years, you may owe 105000 You may owe $108,000 on your house. Mm. Yeah, I, I ran into some people that it went totally upside down on them. They might have borrowed three hundred thousand, and a couple three years later, they owed three thirty, three forty. Um, yeah, that, that's like not closing your bar tab. Right, right. <laughs> or forgetting forgetting your credit card at the bar and getting the next day alert, letting you know. And then, of course, and we're going to get into this later sure. on in the show. It's using your home's equity as an ATM machine. Sure. Called the cash out refi. Yep. And all that stuff came to really hurt eventually. Yes, it did. It, so where have we been the last 10 years? I think we've been building back off of the uh, the collapse in 2008 uh, slowly. But I think as you can see in the last probably four years, we, we are well on our way recovering. Uh, the market is strong. And I think the difference between now and then, then is um, – in the mortgage side, you have to qualify for the mortgages. And in, in before 2008, we you really didn't have to. We used to say if you could fog a mirror, you qualified for a mortgage, so anybody could. Today, you have to qualify. Um, the difference now is uh, supply and demand. There's a lack of supply, and there's a pent-up demand. And that is what's fueling this real estate uh drive and the increase in market and everything currently. And that's where it's way different. A lot of people think, you know, well, we're on a bubble or whatever. Right now, there's more demand every year, and it exceeds the supply in um, 
in in Fresno or even in California. It's and pretty much uh, nationally, there is a lack of supply, which causes our market to be a really good market, and that's we can see it, you know, down the road for the next couple, two, three years. As long as that demand is there and the supply is in short supply, uh, it will continue to fuel a great market. All right, we just have a minute before our commercial break, but do you see it? How long till you see it changing, and then do you see a drastic change? Um, I think that you'll see a change, but I think the market for the next two to maybe three years uh, will continue the way it is. I'm hoping that more, once we get through COVID here, because we haven't talked about that, but once we get through COVID, more people will be putting houses on the market, which will help with that supply. It may slow things down as far as the equity increases. It may plateau, but I believe that it will help our market in the overall structure. All right. Well, thank you, Doug. We are going to go to our first commercial break, but stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio, 940 ESPN. Welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host, along with Doug Hefner, a loan officer with IMS Lending, a local lender. And um, Doug and I both regularly attend FAR's um, Exchangers and Investment Committee meetings and and also the Multiple Listing Service meetings. So I've known Doug for some time. Doug, there was an article that just came out in the Fresno Business Journal that had a quote from from Don Scordino. Now, let me ask you if you believe that I could have really said something like this, that rent control is good for uh, the real estate business. Don, uh, I'd known you, like you said, for a long time, and I knew that that wasn't a quote from you at all because... I've heard you speak on this subject multiple times, and you, you're definitely not for rent control. Yeah. I will say this. I am for rent subsidies from the government, but rent control is a private citizen being forced by the government to subsidize another private citizen. So the, the idea of helping somebody in need, I, I'm all for that one, but that needs, but it's got to come from the right source. Correct. And that's because, let, let's say, Doug, that you were going to rent a home to me um, and you knew that I was going to be there a long, long time. You may want, with rent control, you may want to avoid me because 10 years down the line with inflation, appreciation, price changes, increases in maintenance costs, increases in taxes and insurance, you you may not be able to raise the rent on me because of rent control. So in the past, you would look, a, a landlord would look for somebody who's stable and going to be there a long time. Now those, with rent control, that short-term renter is a better idea. That's correct, because you can increase those rents with the change of the the tenant or whatever. And, and what we've seen and what I've seen is with rent control, and you can go anywhere in the United States, it sounds good that you're trying to provide housing for people or affordable housing for people. But with rent control, 
it actually in the long term creates a housing shortage mm -hmm. because less homes or apartments come on the market to be rented because they're controlled rental incomes. So it does provide a shortage and or people end up staying longer, as you said in your example, and do illegal subletting because you can't find a place to, you can't afford a place to rent because the rents on the other ones that are on rented or higher or market rents and the rents on the, the not subsidized, but on the, uh, on the limitations of what you can do are so low that people won't move out or it's a very attractive trying to illegally sublet those uh, those 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 homes and houses yeah yeah kind of a it sets up a bad thing and and you said rent control can limit uh, um, new building here's a great example we do have rent control in the city of Fresno for mobile homes yep. and that came about a, about a quarter century ago so way back in the 90s sometime do you know that ever since that happened, there has not been one new mobile home park built? And mobile homes would be a nice alternative for, for affordable housing, yep. um, nice living, uh, you know, in those parks. And th during the 70s and 80s, there were quite a few mobile home parks built in Fresno. But since rent control came, zilch. Right. So that, that's an example of you can't mess with the free market. Right. It, it seems every time the government kind <clears throat> tries to solve a problem, it makes a problem. And that's a perfect example of that, that obviously they were trying to control things to get more mobile home parks. But as you have stated, the market, it's not, doesn't, it's not feasible to do it, and none have been built since that time. Got another question for you, and you're the perfect guy being you're in lending, because in this paragraph, in this article, it said, Scordino said, <laughs> I, I think the, the misquote there is the name Scordino, because there's no way I could have said this, because uh, I did pass high school economics class. All right. Scordino said, if there could be more legislation on the federal and state levels to spur more affordable interest rates for homes as well as rent control, then business would be better for those in real estate. Even I know, all the way back from high school economics class, state legislation isn't going to drive interest rates up or down. Correct. Uh, actually, interest rates aren't really a legislated thing. No, they're not. They're not legislated at all. It's a free market. It's part of our capitalistic uh, society and rates go up and down mm. back in the early days which we talked about earlier in the show you know rates used to come out once a week back in the early 80s uh every tuesday it seemed there would be a rate adjustment or stay the same about probably 84 85 they started doing um, mortgage-backed securities to where rates were the cost of money on any particular day. So rates fluctuated up and down daily. The cost of that rate daily changes every single day. And that is held true to this day that the cost of money is whatever that rate is. Now, there may be different costs as per lender because they have overhead and, and things like that in order to get that money. But the cost, there is a cost. And so it is more flexible uh, today. Yeah. So 
even I knew not that, that state legislation. So I really didn't say that. And I, I want to say this. I contacted the reporter and said, you either misinterpreted, misunderstood, or left a word out. Maybe I said it is not, and they left the word not out. <laughs> right. Um, uh, and here's a good one for humanity. Society's going to live on. This guy looked into it, went and saw his notes, and called me up and said, I'm sorry, I made a mistake, period. I mean, he didn't, we, we didn't have to fight it out like, did not, did to, did not, did to, didn't do that. It, he just said he made a mistake and he would get it corrected. Um, so that's important. Another thing is it's important to know how to listen to the news or read the news because, you know, fake, <clears throat> fake news is something totally made up, but mistaken news is something that happens a lot here and let me give you an example of that using real estate terms if <clears throat> if we were to talk about fresno county median prices these four numbers were all pulled up on the same day well just last night i pulled them up and um but they're for different parameters so for the first quarter of 2021 the median price in fresno county was 330,000. if you go to just february of 2021 it was 340,000. so ten thousand dollars more which for one month is significant um then but then if you said well give me a bigger sample size let's do the whole year of 2020 that was 304,000. so 10% less. But if you did just December of 2020, it was 318. So you've got numbers of 304, 318, 330, 340, all pulled on the same day. So a news story could come out using any of those. That, and so numbers and statistics can be manipulated. Absolutely. And that's why when you read some of these numbers and statistics, you need to look in the, the really fine print, obviously, where they're getting that information so that you can understand where they're pulling it from. So as always, you should always do your own little research on top of what you see. But it, it, it's very confusing for the public because, you, the, like you said, you have four different numbers that are basically talking about the same thing. So it makes it very hard for an average buyer or an average seller to figure out really what's going on in the marketplace. Sure. And you can change just one word and substantially change the story. So if we change the word median price to average price, now you have 332 to 372. It, it really changes. Right. Right. All right, with that, we are going to go to our next commercial break, but stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio, 940 ESPN. Well, welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host, and we're speaking with businessman and local loan officer Doug Hefner. So taking care of business, rates are down, historically low. You mentioned earlier in the show, 
a 21% prime rate. Um, so what does interest rates really mean to the purchasing power of a buy, home buyer? The interest rates um, obviously equate to a monthly payment, and that monthly payment equates into a qualifying for a specific mortgage. So as interest rates uh, are low, means you can qualify for more of a home. By that, it means you can qualify for a higher mortgage. You, your, payment, your payment obviously can't exceed certain amount that you qualify for, but it allows you to qualify for more of a house. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sure. Um, and so with people are talking about how prices are going up, but if the interest rates stay low, you still have that purchasing power. And I am a huge believer that because these are now 30-year fixed rate mortgages, they're not adjustable rate mortgages, at least you know what your housing cost is going to be in the year 2035, 2045 and in 2051 it's going to change big time it's going to go to zero correct correct <laughs> well except for taxes and and they are fully amortized loans they're not those negative amortization loans that we talked about earlier as well so you know that hopefully your principal balance is declining every single month that you have that mortgage mm -hmm. so why don't we use a round number like sure. three hundred thousand? I don't want to use 307,850 because. Uh, yeah. No, that's a good I, I number. I barely made it out of high school math. Right. <laughs> so. No, no, that's that's fine. And and again, you know, depending on what we talked about in the last segment, you know, that, that can be, you've seen that to be kind of the median price as well, you know, during 2020 uh, at various times. So that's a great number to start with. So let's just say it is a $300,000 sale price on a house. And we're just going to keep it real simple and do a 20% down mortgage, which means you have an 80% loan to value. Okay. We call that in our industry, uh, LTV. So it's loan to value. And let's just say you had a 30 year mortgage and today's rate is right around 3%. We're going to go with that 3%. So you're looking at a mortgage payment of just a little bit over uh, $1,000 on that mortgage at 3%. All right. So you can buy a $300,000 home, put 20% down, and your principal and interest is going to be right at 1000 bucks a month. Yes. That's incredible. Yep. That's great. And usually, you like qualifying-wise, they look at that payment, and it shouldn't probably exceed more than 28 30% of your gross income. So that, that allows you, if you fit in those numbers, uh, you know, look at your paycheck, uh, figure out what your what your gross is for the month if you're not self-employed and you're a W-2 person, hey, you, you may fit in that box. And, and if you've got more room to work with, that means you qualify for more. So what, what are, when we talk about debt-to-income ratios, what, what, is, what are the limits? Sure. Uh, debt-to-income ratio is where we take your mortgage payment. It would include your um, taxes and insurance as well. And then what we look at is all your other debt. And your other debt is, would be considered student loans, car payments, credit cards, personal loans, things like that. It's not your cell phone bill. It's not your, uh, 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 what do I want to say, uh, your, your warehouse uh, uh, bills or anything like that. So it's, it's just 
It's just those items. It should not exceed, and, and different loans have different debt-to-income ratio uh, maximums. And most of all, if you kind of keep it in mind, about 45% of your gross income, that's a good thumbnail. FHA is higher. That's a different mortgage. That can go up to 50% of your income because uh, it allows you to qualify for more. But most conventional 20% down type deals is 45%. So being in this business, and I, I know those numbers and all that, I recently read an article, and this goes to show how you have to pay attention to the news because it may be mistaken news, not fake news. But um, it, it was doing a study on rentals, and it said uh, the, the, the government figures that you are rent burdened at 30%. And I'm thinking, wow, because we can go, do mortgages way more than, than that. And rent burdened is at 30%. Uh, no wonder the, the numbers were high. Right. I think when they do say rent burden, it means your rent probably can't exceed the 30%. And that would be the same as like what your mortgage payment shouldn't exceed 30% of your income. But it just depends on how you frame that, that, that saying basically. Yeah. All right. Now a big difference is with a fully amortized uh, fixed interest rate, your balance drops too. So you can have equity growth as we go. So let's say somebody took that mortgage we were talking about, 300000 at 3%, payment right about 1000 Five years from now, wh- where are you going to be? Sure. With that 20% down, it, your mortgage is at $240,000. You're looking at the end of the five years, roughly about a little over $213,000 still owed on the principal amount of your loan. So you've, you've dropped it substantially from the 240 to 213. So you have made $27,000 in equity growth just by making the payment on a home that you were using also. Correct. There's the difference between renting and buying. So in those five years, if you're renting, paying that $1,000 a month, um, you're not going to have that extra $27,000 in wealth that you're building. Correct. Correct. It's almost like a forced savings plan. You're investing in yourself. You're investing in your own tangible piece of real estate. So some people say, well, a 15-year mortgage would be ideal. Um, So how much more (laughs) is the payment? And in that same five years, where is it going to drop? Sure. Same scenario. You're looking the payments about fifteen, or excuse me, sixteen hundred and fifty-seven dollars uh, a month. So it goes up from that just over a thousand to to uh, sixteen fifty-seven. Uh, your after the five years, it looks like your principal balance would be about mm, about hundred and seventy-one thousand five hundred, a little bit over that. Mm-hmm. So it drops it considerably. So now you've got seventy thousand dollars worth of equity growth. And that's not to mention in that five years, there may have been inflation, appreciation. Maybe you put some sweat equity into it. Maybe you bought the, a home that was in the lower 10% of the area as far as condition and appeal. And you got the grass green, you, got, it, it just, you painted the house, the value goes up too. 
but now you've also added over se- almost $70,000 in equity. Right. The beauty, too, is on that first example, the 30-year after five years, you've got 25 years to go of those $1,000 payments. The beauty on the 15 is you've only got 10 years to go of the 1657 So you are still saving money over the long term. Once you get to the end of that term, you know, on that 30-year mortgage, you will be continue to pay for another 15 years. Now, I know many, many people think this way because I thought this way every time I got a loan. Ugh, 15 year, that payment is, that's going to kill me. Or I think I can afford it, but maybe not. So maybe I better go with the 30 year. Right. Can you voluntarily do something? Yeah, that's, that's what I kind of advise sometimes is if you can do it, do it. There's no prepayment penalties on any of these loans. Those went to the wayside after 2008. Um, so you can pay down on the principal balance any amount that you like during the, the course of the loan. So if you made those payments along the way, the additional payment, or if you did it once a year, a big principal reduction, it would give you the same thing. The only difference is the payment would remain the same. It wouldn't be adjusted as you're paying down. It's Your payment's always gonna be set the same. So I've heard that often that, hey, if you really wanna shorten your loan, make one extra payment a year. Um, Yep. And th- that, Th- that is true. So it just depends on when you make that one extra payment. And what I like to say is just to give an example, if I made my first payment, first payment that I do on my new home, if I doubled that payment and I did it on that anniversary date for the rest of the loan, you probably pay that loan off somewhere between 18 and 19 years. Mm-hmm. Let's say I made that additional payment on the 12th month it's probably gonna be closer to the high of the 18s and more closer to the 20 year. So the, so it does help you by making that interest, that, that payment. Mm-hmm. One, one other thing in regards to that, when you do that, make sure you tell your lender that it is, that extra payment is a principal reduction, not an additional payment. Because sometimes, as you all know, uh, you're dealing with large companies, they just think you're making an extra payment like you're paying ahead. That does not pay down your mortgage. You need to put in the memo of your check or in some sort of uh, uh, announcement that that is a principal reduction. Make sure you put on their principal reduction uh, so, so that they're aware of it. Otherwise, otherwise, you're not helping yourself. Yeah. Now, we talk about the difference between 15-year and 30-year. I want you to know my very first home loan that I got, and this is back when rates were well, in fact, I was lucky to get a 12% at the time. Uh, but anyway, I was afraid. My first house, what What if? What if I lose my job? What if this happens? Um, so I did a 40-year loan, 40-year amortization. After making that payment for eight years, I took a class at Fresno State on real estate finance and realized that by the time you get to 50 years, that's <clears throat> almost the same as interest only. So, so little interest goes. I recalculated my payment that I'd already been making on for eight years. I only saved $15 a month. Uh, it, but yet I was making hardly any headway right. by doing that. I mean, even at the time, a pizza costs $15. Right. You know, I, 
Hey, that's one thing. Pizza has not been affected by inflation. <laughs> no, no, it hasn't. It's always been expensive. We always thought it was cheap, but no, it's the same. All right, yeah. I mean, because when you could talk way back when we started in business, pizza was the same price as it is now. Yeah. Can't say that about homes, gasoline, anything else. Nothing else. Cars, you name it. Yeah. And interest-only loans, are those a good thing? You know what? Um they're not good. They're not bad. Um, Interest-only loan serves a purpose. Sometimes it, you may use that to, to buy something for a short period of time. And then it makes sense because you're just paying interest or, or on it. But you're not paying down anything on the principal. So, yeah, it's great. Your payments may be less. But, you know, basically if I borrowed $240,000 today and I pay interest only for three years, I still owe $240,000 and I've paid all the money out just to cover the interest. Sounds so like rent. It, it is like rent. Yeah. You're renting the money is what you're, what you're oh, doing. That's a good one. Yeah. That's such a good one that we're going to take a commercial break so we can all let that one sink in. So stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio, 940 ESPN. Welcome home radio. This is Don Scordino, your host, and Doug Hefner, loan officer with IMS Lending here in Fresno, Fresno County, uh, helping us out. So I've and we've been talking about interest rates, mortgages, uh, how to build equity uh, through your mortgage. And I hear people, some people say, ah, man, prices are they're going up. I'm going to wait till September. December, you know, and uh, when prices come down, but you know, probably what would make prices come down would be interest rates going up. So where's that happy balance? I mean, because we're talking about mortgages affect your housing costs, correct? Your monthly payment, correct? It's the supply and demand aspect of it. As as house prices go up, the reason why they go up is low interest rates. When rates go up, house prices slow down as far as uh, uh, appreciation and actually can come down a little bit. Um, California is a little different because of what we talked about in the first segment uh, as far as the lack of uh, supply. But just just an example of let's just say today's market rate, uh, like I said, was 3%. Let's say we get a, a 1% uh, movement in the interest rate. We go to 3 to 4%. Uh, you know, as in our example, the $240,000 loan, it was just over $1,000 per month for your principal and interest payment. If the rate moves to 4%, you're looking at about $1,145 on a monthly basis. Okay, so it's gone up $145 a month. Um, you know, that's significant. That allows on some people, if you're debt to income ratios are a little tight, you may not qualify for that home now because of that increase. Um, another example is what let's just say, and I hear what you hear too, Don, is, you know, we think things are going to, uh, you know, turn out like 2008 again, uh, house prices are going to collapse or whatever, probably not going to happen because it's a totally different situation. But let's just say we do wait a year from now and rates do go to 4%. And let's just say conservatively that $300,000 house appreciates 6%, okay? 
that means that the sales price goes from three hundred to three hundred eighteen thousand dollars. Okay, you're eighty percent down, or your eighty percent loan to value with twenty percent down. Your mortgage goes from two hundred forty thousand dollars to two fifty four four. Okay, and your down payment increases that twenty percent in dollars increases thirty six hundred dollars. So, so it will cost you more. It will cost you more. And that payment now goes from that $1,000 to $1,214. Mm-hmm. Okay? That's a difference of $202 or another $2,435 a, a, a year more. That's every year it'll cost you $2,500 more by waiting. So one of the best things I've ever heard in this business was somebody said if you're a market timer and an analyst and you're doing crunching the numbers and you're forgetting that when you buy that home you get to use the home also if you're a market timer you're probably not going to get it on that one day when it hit rock bottom you're and then you're always going to be kicking yourself that just like on gas i wish i would have filled my tank back when it was on three dollars and 49 cents a gallon but here we, I just paid four forty nine. Uh, so you and I've been in the business a long time and we, you know, consider ourselves, you know, in the know, uh, you know, I, experts. Okay. Grizzled veterans. It, yes. That's probably a better, better line. And that market timing, I mean, we've seen markets come and go and no one knows what that time is. And I always say there's no time like the present because if it makes sense for you today, why not Why not do it? Um, the market can turn overnight, up, down. And, and like we said, we've seen it to where interest rates have gone from 8% to 12% overnight. We've seen where the market on houses go from, you know, astronomical in 2007, 8 to bottoming out. And, you know, you bought the day before it fell. How do you feel that day? Mm. You know, oh, I'll wait and I got a good price. But if my interest rate is 12%, my mortgage is three times what it would have been if I would have bought it the day before with the regular interest rate. So that timing is always hard to hit. And really, you don't know when it's going to happen. And usually it's it's done by unforeseen circumstances. So managing your equity is an important part of home ownership. And there's four ways that you gain equity. One is inflation. Can't do anything about that except buy something so that you own a piece of the world because that inflation is a global thing. Uh, appreciation. That's the second thing. You want to buy something that will be appreciated in the future um, rather than buying that four-bedroom, one-bath house next to the freeway. Um, buy the four-bedroom, two-bath in the middle of the neighborhood. That'll be great more greatly appreciated third one is sweat equity take that home and and improve it put some love in it some tlc and you'll see the the equity grow and then the fourth one is principal reduction um i had a home i owned for 22 years it went from 200,000 down to 170 didn't matter because we weren't selling at 170 so that was just mistaken news (laughs) (laughs) Eventually, it went up to 400000 Still didn't matter because we weren't selling. Uh, when we sold it at 330 I'm thinking, hey, 
did pretty well. Bought it at 200, sold it at 330. But the most important thing, the principal was down to 20,000 bucks. So look at the growth there. Yep. Uh, free money. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because I lived in it. Right. Therefore, there was no capital gains tax. Correct. Ah. The, <laughs> that's all right. They got me in other ways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, for everybody, remember, April 15th is coming right around the corner here. So pay your taxes. <laughs> uh, all right. So that is something that equity growth and equity management is something that didn't happen 15 years ago. Uh, a lot of people did what was called the cash out refi and lenders were going 100 percent of value. And when I say lenders, I'm not talking about Doug locally here because you're not the one who created the loan program you're the one you're the conduit between the borrower and the investors Correct. investors being at fannie mae freddie mac so um those were the ones that wrote the bad loan programs correct and um that brings me to a question about where do you guys get your money because on the internet you see people say oh you get get a 2.125 interest rate with us flashing green uh interest rate there by the way i thought there were rules on that you had to give the whole story the, <laughs> but I, I don't see that on the internet where you give the total of payments the apr and all that or right. maybe i don't see it because it's in the fine print below you probably don't see it so it should right. be on there sure yeah all right so You're, I think your question is, where do we get our money from? And we kind of all get it from the same place. Uh, so that fa that fancy online place out of Timbuktu gets their money, same place you do. Same place they, that I do. And, and every lender gets it. They add their whatever their costs are, which is their margin. And then they loan it out to the, pu loan it out to the public. And currently, how that works is there's really only about three three sources of income, especially since COVID. Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and Jenny Mae, which is the, the loans uh, that do the USGA, do VA loans, Veterans Administration the loans. Government loans. Government loans and FHA. So that's the, who is buying those mortgage-backed securities. So every mortgage that Doug does or anybody else does uh, gets packaged up, and they are the actual end purchaser. So you don't don't really get a better deal by going to some online source out of Timbuktu? Not necessarily. A actually, um, you you may be able to get a little better deal on any given day. You know, it's it's like anything. You price a, a product and, and it may be lower there than here. But I always say it's nice to work with local people because I live here, you know, my kids and grandkids go to school here, you know, we go to church together, you know, we're a community. And I'd rather have the money that I earned off the mortgages stay in my community and spent spent with with our community. Right. Great point because let's say for every $1000 of loan fees that are are generated, you're if you go to Timbuktu, you're sending it to somebody where they get to spend the money in those restaurants not here locally correct doug thank you very much this was a good show you're a great guest you must have a little radio experience um we'll be back next week thank you to everybody bye-bye